Well, good morning. This morning we are continuing our sermon series entitled God's Design for His Church. Over the past couple of weeks, we have looked at church conduct. We have, we, we have looked at how we are to be a people of prayer. We are to pray for all people because Jesus died for all people. Now we must go to all people. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at the church and Christian womanhood, how we are all created equal, but we are not identical. And then last week, we began to look at the different offices in the church. We looked at the elders, and this week, we are going to be looking at the deacons. And our message is entitled, Servants in the Church. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin looking at verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin looking at verse 8 together. These are the words that the Lord would have us to study today. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There are two offices in the church. There are elders and then there are deacons. The elders shepherd the church. The deacons are servant leaders within the church. You know, when I think about deacons, I think about those within our church or within the greater church that lead um, in such a way that no one else knows about their leadership. They're the ones that are serving the widows and widowers in the church. They're the ones that um, are often doing things within the community or around the church that no one else knows about. In fact, this past Thursday around here, we had a couple of our deacons that, that were up on a lift changing light bulbs in this room and also changing light bulbs out in the gym. They were up here. Um, I guess they didn't have anything better to do, and so they came up here to change light bulbs. That is a servant leader. And, and you know, we're a small church here at Friendship Baptist Church. We only have a handful of deacons that make up um, our deacon body here. But the one thing that I'll say about each one of these men's, men is that they love Jesus and they love the church and they truly are servant leaders. So notice this morning as we dive into our different points, notice our first point this morning. It is this, the service of a deacon. One commentator wrote, this said the word group, both noun and the verb for deacon, diakonos, diakonia, and diakoneo, is used more than 100 times in the New Testament, almost always referring to some form of ministry 
or service. It is the same word used in Ephesians 4.12 to refer to the work of ministry that is the responsibility of all members in the church. All of us in this room, we are all called to do the work of ministry, right? We are all ministers of the gospel. We are also all called to serve one another. But there is a distinct calling that is given to deacons. They are called and set apart to be the lead servants within the church. You know, when we think about the first church, we need to ask ourselves, well, what necessitated the need for the deacon ministry? And and the early church, they had a real problem, okay? It was a problem that I really long for the day and, and when we experienced this same problem. They were experiencing unprecedented growth. They grew literally by thousands of people overnight, it seems like. Now, I'm not saying that I pray that we grow by thousands of people overnight, um, but that first church, that's what they experienced. I mean, when we look at Acts 2.41 on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people added to the kingdom. In Acts 2.47, we read how daily people were being added to the kingdom. And then in Acts 4, we're told that 5,000 men on that day came to know Um, Jesus Christ. Salvation of souls is a very, very good thing. But here is what happens when you have um, growth, when you have unprecedented growth, especially. There are people that are added to the greater church as well as to a local body of believers that have needs, right? There are people that join the church that come in with real hurts and real pains and real needs. And that's what this first church experienced. Just think about our church, okay, this little church that we have here. We are all redeemed and set free by Jesus if we are Christians, but that doesn't mean that we have all been mended physically does it. I mean, we come redeemed, but often broken. Our bodies are broken. I know that within our faith family right now that there are many, uh, more than a handful of people that are battling some form of cancer this morning. There is sickness that is present within our faith family. There are men and women whose bodies literally are just breaking down. Our relationships sometimes get broken as well. Divorce happens. Breakups occur. There are mental struggles. Um, We have men and women that are in this church, either widows or widowers. With these needs come a need to serve those within the church. And that, when you look back at the New Testament in Acts chapter 6, where we see the institution of the deacon ministry, we read that initially um, what was brought before the disciples was a need for the Hellenists, um, the Greek widows, um, to be taken care of. Notice what we read together in Acts chapter 6. In verses 1 through 6, we read these words. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, 
full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they, pray, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So notice, first of all, notice the work of a deacon. The lost were getting saved. Good thing. Great thing. The good thing revealed that even though the lost were getting saved, there were still people that had real problems and real struggles. Salvation mends the heart, but salvation does not mean that our bodies are going to be mended. What We do know is that as believers, one day when we take our final breath on this side of eternity and we awake in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not going to be any more broken bodies. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more divorce. There will be no more um, um, brokenness. Every tear is going to be wiped away. Every sickness is going to be gone. That is a promise that we have after we leave from this earth and are united with God the Father in heaven. But as long as we are still here because of, the, of, the, of, of, of sin that entered this world, we all have broken, decaying bodies, right? So what necessitated the need for um, the deacon ministry. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, women in the first century were not highly favored, were they? They were seen more as second-class citizens, maybe even third or fourth or fifth-class citizens. But when Jesus came, what did Jesus do? He redeemed the status of women, didn't he? Jesus reached out to women. He talked to women. He demonstrated great love toward women. The the woman at the well, what did he do? He offered her eternal life. The, the, The woman who was caught in adultery, what did Jesus do? He, he offered to forgive her sins. The woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, what did Jesus do? He healed her broken body. The first people Jesus appeared to after the resurrection were women, right? So they became the first evangelists. They became the first to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So even though the church had not yet caught up to the fact that Jesus had redeemed a woman's status. Jesus did indeed redeem it. So the disciples, um, you know, they, they, the, 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 there's a need that is presented to this church, okay? And it's a need for these widows to be taken care of. So the disciples, what did they do? They, 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 they come together and they join together, and they recognize that, yes, this is a need, and so they institute the deacon ministry at that point, and they appoint seven men to be the leading servants of the church. So deacons lead the church in service. They are leading servants. Now, all of us in this room are called to serve, but there are leaders that lead out in serving, that demonstrate for all of us what a servant is to look like. So notice our, um, our next sub-point here is notice the faithfulness of these men. In verse 3 we read, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. All of us in this room have been set apart for the work of ministry. We have all been called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our ministry position. 
There are some, once again, who not, are not only ministers of others, but they take a specific leadership role as they minister. They are leading servants. These men are to be men as described by the disciples that are to be men of good repute. They need to have a good reputation amongst those inside the church as well as those outside of the church. Then notice the next saying that they are to be. They are to be full of the Holy Spirit. These men have been set apart by God in the church, and they need to give evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. One of the first deacons appointed to the first um, within that first church was a man by the name of Stephen. And if you know anything about Stephen, you know that Stephen was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit. He knew the Word of God, and he wasn't ashamed of the Word of God. And in fact, early on, in fact, right after the establishment of this deacon ministry, one of the next things we read about in Scripture is Stephen being arrested. He is arrested because of his faith, because he has been proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And so there is a conspiracy that takes place. This conspiracy is this. They want to arrest Stephen, and they want to find um, him guilty before the religious leaders. In Acts chapter 6, beginning of verse 13, we read these words. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. If we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, think about that. All these ungodly men take a look at Stephen, this deacon, this servant leader in his church, and what did they recognize in him? They recognized that his face glowed like that of an angel. The Holy Spirit was all over this man. So they falsely accuse him. And then what does Stephen do? He, he's given an opportunity to, to defend his faith. And he preaches probably one of the greatest sermons ever preached in, in Scripture. And, and at the very end of that sermon, that sermon is documented in Acts chapter 7. But at the end of that sermon, we read these words. Um, Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth in him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who is Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. That right there is a leader. That right there is a leading servant. 
That, I, I would like to say, that is what a deacon is supposed to look like. But I don't want our deacons to go out and get stoned for their faith. Now, if it necessitates that, then we're going to be right there with them, supporting them. But, you know, when I think about the, this passage that we're looking at in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is pinning these words to his young apprentice, Timothy. And I cannot help but believe that as Paul is writing these words to Timothy, that he is not thinking back to this this moment where Stephen was stoned. You know, whenever these people laid their clothes at the feet of Paul, Paul was not a believer. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Okay? But I can't help but believe that his life wasn't impacted by the life of Stephen. Can't help but believe that as he walked that road to Damascus, as he was going to Damascus to arrest anyone belonging to the way, that as Jesus appeared to him, I can't help but just imagine that Stephen somehow popped into his mind as he, as he recognized the glory of God shining forth through that man. You know, I, I, just, just an amazing sight that that must have been. Notice also that the, that the disciples say that the deacon is to be a wise man. Men that have both biblical smarts and I believe even some street smarts about them as well. They need to be able to handle situations as they arise within the church as well as outside the church. So our second point this morning is this, the character of a deacon. We already looked at the three um, characteristics but we're going to look at a few more together. And just like last week, we looked at many of the different characteristics that, that Paul had described about the elders of the church. Um, and, and, I, and I challenged all of us to ask ourselves, um, does, does this characteristic describe me and my life? The same is true today. Although these characteristics are specifically addressed to the deacons in the church, All of these characteristics need to be present within our lives as well. So notice the personal qualifications. We read in verses 8 through 10, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the ministry of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So a deacon first of all, as well as all of us, must be dignified. This word means worthy of respect. A deacon is to be thought of well by those inside the church as well as outside of the church. Are you thought of well by those inside the church as well as by those outside of the church? Are you a dignified person? Are you double-tongued? We are told here that a deacon is not to be double-tongued. This word literally means not to say one thing and then turn around and do another thing or say another thing. We are not to be double-tongued in in our lifestyle. We have to be people of truth. We have to be people of character. We have to be people that, that represent Christ well both inside the church and outside of the church. Are you double-tongued? 
Next we see here, a deacon is not to be addicted to much wine. Here's what um, we're seeing within this church in Ephesus. This is a church that, and, and a city and a people group that obviously had a problem with alcohol. Last week we looked at how the elders of their church were not to, um, Paul said they're not to be drunks, and now we're told that the deacons in the church are not to be addicted to much wine. So probably there was some kind of an issue with, with drunkenness in this um, in this community. And, and I would say that there is an issue within our society to, as well when it comes to alcohol. But what Paul is saying here is that leaders are not to be addicted to much wine. So my question for you is, are you a drunkard? Are you addicted to much wine? Notice next, we are, a deacon is not to be greedy for dishonest gain. Deacons need to be men who can be trusted stewards of God's resources. Oftentimes, deacons are given specific responsibilities within the church where they may handle money and handle different important tasks. And so they need to be good stewards of both God's resources speaking money-wise as well as God's resources when it comes to the facilities that he has given us as well. Are you a greedy person? Next, we see here that a deacon is to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This means that he needs to be a man that is strong in his faith. His faith does not waver. He doesn't live one way in the church house and another way outside of the church house. He is firmly planted in his faith. That should be said of all of us in this room as well. We need to be men and women and students and children that represent Christ well inside the doors of this church as well as outside the doors of the church. Next, we see here that a deacon is to be tested and found blameless. Last week, we talked about the pastor, and Paul told, um, said that, that a pastor is not to begin leading basically right after they become a believer. Why? Because they are immature in the faith. They don't yet know um, all the truth of God's Word. And so they need, there needs to be that time of discipleship that occurs. The same is true for a deacon. A deacon, they need to have time. They need to be time-tested is what they need to be. We don't appoint good old boys to be deacons, do we? We appoint men to lead out in the church that have demonstrated that they are already servant leaders. Are you found blameless before the Lord? Notice the next qualification is that of families. We read in verses 11 and 12, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. You know, I firmly believe that, that when a, a person is called into the ministry, their spouse is also called into the ministry. I believe that my wife has a ministry role within this church and within her own lifestyle. And I believe that our deacons' wives as well have ministry roles. We're told right here that, that Paul makes it clear that the wives are to be set apart for leadership. So here we see that wives are to be dignified. They should be men, women worthy of respect. Wives are not to slander. A wife is not to speak ill of other people. They are not to be found 
as gossipers or slanderers or are individuals that are going to tear down the work of Christ within the church or outside the church. They should be sober-minded. She must be self-controlled and level-headed. And then she is to be faithful in all things. She is trustworthy. She is to be a woman that can handle the responsibilities given to her, whether that be a ministry responsibility or, or a service responsibility. She is to be a woman who is faithful in all things. And then Paul goes back to speaking to the man says that he is to be the husband of one wife, just like an elder is to be the husband of one wife, meaning that he is to be a one-woman man. He can't be known as, as a person who is unfaithful to his wife. And then we see here that he is to manage his children and his household well. His kids, just like the pastor kids, are not expected to be perfect, okay, but they are um, expected to be respectful and submissive to their parents. Notice in conclusion this morning, notice the blessing of being a deacon. We read in verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. As deacons Deacons do not serve for recognition, okay? If any of our deacons serve for the sake of being recognized by others, then they are serving in an ill-mannered way, okay? But notice what this scripture says. It says here that a deacon gains a good standing for themselves. You know who that good standing is with? It is with God the Father and is also with their fellow church members. They don't do it for recognition, but because they are servant leaders, they do gain a good standing because they are respected by other people in the church and outside of the church. Notice next the confidence that they receive. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Some of your translations say that they gain a great boldness. The idea is here that as we serve and see success through service, our faith is strengthened. Our confidence is strengthened. We gain a greater boldness as we serve. I mean, um, think about just in your own life. When you do a job well, and you are kind of patted on the back and say, hey, good job. What does that do? That lifts you up and it builds you up, doesn't it? It gives you an added amount of, of, of strength. And you really feel like if I do a good job with this little thing, then I'm going to be given an opportunity to do something with a little bit more significance, whether that be in the church or outside of the church. But, but we all like that attaboy because that attaboy builds up some confidence within us. It gives us that great boldness. When I think about Stephen, and I think about his life. 
then I think I, I can't help but believe that he was a man that was encouraged by other people. And that encouragement um, really um, came to the forefront as he boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus before the religious leaders. And the thing that I love about the passage of Scripture that we looked at a second ago in Acts chapter 7, I don't know if you caught this or not, but the, at the end of that verse, it talked about how, how Stephen looked up into the heavens and he saw the heaven open up. And he saw Jesus doing what? What was Jesus doing? He was standing at the right hand of God the Father. I cannot imagine there being a greater compliment for any of us in this room to receive than to be able to look up into the heavens and see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. You know, whenever Jesus left this earth, what did he do? He went and he, is, he assumed his position seated next to God the Father in heaven. But here in this verse, we see when the heavens were opened up, we see that Jesus was standing for Stephen. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus stands for, every, for us every time that we stand for him. But we see an example where Jesus did stand for Stephen. And I can't help but believe that he stood for Stephen because Stephen stood for him. Stephen's boldness resulted in his death, but the blessing that he received was being able to gaze up into the heavens and see Jesus standing next to God the Father. You know, all of us are to be servants. All of us are to serve one another. Servants should be honorable Servants should be genuine. Servants should be self-controlled. Servants should be good stewards. Servants should be devoted to the Word of God, should know the Word and apply the Word to their lives daily. They should be faithful, and they should honor Christ both in the home and outside of the home. Every one of us in this room should aspire to be great servants of the Lord. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said these words, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled for us servanthood, didn't he? He modeled for us what our lives should look like as servants. We need to serve others. You know, as we were getting started this morning, I read the passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians where Paul talked about being a servant. He served other people. He became um, one of other people in order to serve them. And sometimes we have to do that as well. Sometimes we have to, um, to allow ourselves to get into the context of another person and serve them. To go onto the streets where the homeless men and women are and serve them and reach out to them and to love on them. Sometimes we have to go to another place around this world and get into a different ministry context to serve people. Sometimes we, we are called to serve our neighbors or to serve one another, but all of us are called to serve. Jesus modeled for us servanthood, and we too need to follow after what he has called us to do. In closing this morning, in John chapter 13, and in, in beginning in verse 4, 
we read these words. This is um, Jesus had gathered around his disciples around the, the table for the Last Supper. And, and we're told here that Jesus rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then drop down to verse 12, we read, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Some are called and set apart as servant leaders, but all of us are called to serve. This morning, as we conclude our time together, I've got some, some um, small towels up here at the front. And I would like to invite all of you during this time of invitation to come down and to grab one of these towels and to take it um, home with you. You may want to leave it in your car. You may want to put it in your bathroom. You may want to put it somewhere visible where you can be reminded and I can be reminded that we are called to serve one another. We are called to serve each other within this church, outside of this church. We are called to serve the, the, the saved, and we are also called to serve the lost. And let's pray that the Lord will give us opportunities to serve one another. Now, that's what we are to do. We are to serve one another. And as you grab one of these, just pray for the Lord to give you opportunities to serve someone. And, and I don't know what that context might look for, like for you this coming week, but I do pray for all of us to be given that, that special privilege. Now, Jesus modeled for us what a servant looks like, and, and he has called us also to be servants. I'm going to lead us in a, in a time of prayer. And as, as I pray, I want you just to, to pray with me. But if you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. As, as, as everybody's coming forward to grab one of these towels, um, I'm going to be standing over here to the side. And I would love to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and the Lord's leading you to make friendship your church home. And I don't know what decision you need to make, but after I say amen, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now. Just thanking you, Lord Jesus, just again for this morning. Thanking you, Father, for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, I pray just like Stephen, all of us in this room, when others look at us, I pray that they see you because we are full of your Spirit. Father, our cup overfloweth.
with the presence of you. Father, give us opportunities, Lord Jesus, to experience such a presence. Father, I pray this morning that if there is someone here that has yet to enter into a relationship with you, that today they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, I also pray, Lord Jesus, that if, 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 if there's some in this room that, that are just hurting, Father, they're dealing with, with something this morning that they just need special prayer for. I pray that they'll come and talk to me and just say, hey, I need you to just pray for me. Or maybe they'll go to somebody else in this church and say, hey, will you pray for me this morning? I'm struggling in this particular area. Father, I just pray that during this time of invitation that you will move. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.